0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled My Jubilee Church. This series explores six attributes of Jubilee that in part define what we're all about. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. So before I heard the message of Jesus, I was really, really shy. I had no confidence. Um, There was a lack of uh, sense of self. There was um, a great lack of confidence, which led to a great abundance of fear. And I was just really wrapped up in just being really afraid of what what other people thought of me. I was in a place that I didn't have a hope that I could do anything to change my situation. So I really thought to myself, like, man, there's got to be more to life than this. When I realized the message of Jesus was true, I legitimately was blown away. I was amazed that the God who created the whole earth actually cared about us, heard us, speaks to us. And it was just this overwhelming sense of, yeah, security, um, that God was in control, that I was his son, um, and that he had called me to, to a new life. I think I felt... First of all, just a sense of relief, just a sense of like, oh my gosh, I don't have to carry all of these burdens, carry everything that I had with me by myself. He spoke to me that he wanted me specifically, that he chose me and, and not just everybody, which was true as well, but it made it very personal for me. And I remember just saying back, I believe you. And what I felt God saying to me, uh, or I, what I felt just this, this sense that was on my heart, I, I can't really describe it, but was more so that this is it. This is what you're looking for. This is the gap that's in your life. This is the void. Uh, I'm the thing that you've been searching for. After hearing the message and, and God embracing me and me embracing Him, um, life with Him is powerful. It's incredible. It's passionate. It's challenging. It's uplifting. It's giving purpose to my life. Now that I understand Jesus and what he has for us, I think it has just given me a freedom to be more of myself and more of who he's really created me to be. Knowing and accepting Christ into my life um, has brought peace um, for the, for the, troubling times, for the hard times, for the good times, you know, being able to enjoy it. Now that I get to live in the truth of um, the gospel, I just get to live in his grace and be free from from my performance, free from my insecurity. I draw my strength from him. After I embraced the gospel of Jesus, I knew that I had a life of, of meaning, of purpose, and of direction, and I knew his love for me. If you had known me then and know me now, you wouldn't know, you didn't, wouldn't even recognize me as the same person. Well, good morning. My name, morning. My name is Brian Mary Lee pastor here. And uh, as uh, Dylan was saying earlier, we are one church with uh, a few, lo- four different locations here in the city, Kirkwood, Washington at the lake. And uh, if you turn with me, to Ephesians chapter two. Uh, We're going to continue in the series and um, every message uh, has good news and bad news and it's important to know uh, the bad news as well as uh, the good news. I'm going to the doctor tomorrow uh, because I'm 40 and somebody asked me, you know, what's it like to be 40? I'm like, well, I go to the doctor more and so, so, but if I go to the doctor tomorrow and the guy comes in or the girl, I don't even know who they are, but if they come in and and say, Hey, you know, we got to cut you open. We got to have surgery. I'm like, hold on time out. Why? What? I mean, to know that is uh, when you say it's probably pretty important information or maybe a few years, here's here's what I say. A few years ago, um, I heard this explosion. I go outside and our house had caught on fire. True story. And so I run back inside and I'm like, Rachel, we got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Get out of here. And she's just like, And she just froze and she's like, what? Why? Why? We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Why? We just, we just got to get out of here. And I said, the house is on fire. And she's like, ah, okay. And then she left. It wasn't until she heard the bad news that really the saving news really meant anything to her. And I don't know how many of you have heard that term. Like, are you saved? Have you heard that term? Like raise your hand. Go ahead. It's It's okay in a minute. And, uh, what, what does that even mean? Like, save? Like, save from what? And, um, well, I think that's kind of like someone coming up to you and saying, Hey, you know, we need to cut you open. And it's like, cut you open for what? Like, well, this is why. There's, there's good news and there's bad news. And that's what I want to take a look at in, in our message. And it's important to understand both. Uh, Ephesians 2, um, if you got there, if you're there, uh, we're going to read the first few verses and we'll hit the, the rest of it later. But I'm going to be eventually going all the way to verse 10. Uh, this is Paul writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, And you, this is all of us too though, And you, meaning us, Were dead in, in, the trespass, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, Following the prince and power of the air that is the devil, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of Mankind, so Paul starts off the, with the bad news, and he says, and "This is the bad news. hey, that you were dead in your sins, the problem with the universe, the problem with the economy, disease, murder, strife, is a sin issue. So the biblical narrative over reality, over life is that, that God created all, the, the world, and everything was perfect, everything was as it should be, no death, no disease, no politicians, it was just great. and then uh, sin entered the human equation in something known as the fall, an event known as the fall, and it uh, fractured the human heart, it fractured uh, the physical universe, and so that sin and the destruction that goes along with it is now a part of the human Equation, the reason why there are terrorist attacks in the world, in our soil or somewhere else, is because of sin. The reason why there are natural disasters or disease that wipe out millions of people is because of sin. The reason why millions of people die of things like starvation and dehydration, while the West complains about their cable TV, is because of sin. The reason why your relationships seem to never work out is because of their sin. And because of your sin. And Paul here is communicating that before Jesus enters your life, the reason why you need to be saved is because you are dead in sin. Not physically dead, right? Not yet anyway. But spiritually dead. And because you are spiritually dead, um, you are enslaved. Now, the word here for following, it says it a couple different times. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 2. Um, as well as in verse uh, 3, I believe. Uh, no, sorry, it's both in verse 2. It says, following the course of the world, that, that the translation following, the English translation following, is kind of a weak translation because the Greek word really means to be mastered or controlled. That you were once mastered and controlled by things, that you were being dragged around by sin and you were as helpless as a dead body. That you were just defenseless to sin in your life. Because here's the truth, you are a slave to which that controls you. Because some people push back, man, I'm not a slave to anything. I'm a free person. I'm an independent person. Okay, prove it by stop sinning and stop dying. You are a slave to which you have no control over. And so I don't know what you think. of. You know, when you were born, um, when you were born, you know, the the doctor slapped you and your mom cried. Your dad was who knows where. But the... You were born, you couldn't see him, but you were born with chains around your hands, your feet, your neck. And on the other side of that chain was sin and death. And ever since, it's been dragging you around. All of us are that way. So Paul doesn't simply say that we said, hey, you know what, we all make mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. We all, we all you, know, you, you know, we kind of like, we should do this, but we should. He says, you know, it's much deeper than that. He says that we are dead in sin. Uh, the theologian, John Piper, I love how he says it. He says it this way. He says, the reason why we need a savior is not just because we are in the doghouse with God and need to be forgiven of a few offenses. The reason we need a savior is because we are in the morgue. In the doghouse, you might whimper. You might say you're sorry. You might even make some good resolutions. But what can you do if you're in the morgue? What can you do? And then Paul goes on to say there are three enemies. There are three things that are leading you to do this. So uh, Paul's contention and what we're communicating in terms of the message of, of the gospel, the bad news part is that you were dominated by that. Like you were enslaved to this, and you were led. And, and there were three things Paul mentions that led you to do these things. The first one is the world. And when the Bible speaks of the world, it's not speaking of the physical universe per se, but it's talking about the world's values. Uh, its system, its way of doing things, and according to First John 2, that's lust, coveting, and pride. It's, it's, I'll say it this way, because uh, uh, you've heard people say, you know, what is it to be worldly? What does it mean to be worldly? It's a collective response of millions and millions of people living as though God doesn't exist. And so the opposite of worldly is godly living though he does exist. Worldly is living though he doesn't exist, so that's one enemy that's leading you to do that. The world system, its values. The other one, it says here, is Satan. You know, the guy with horns, pitchfork, that guy. Um, he says it's, it's our second one. It's, it's, the, it's the power of the air to be. Um, now, Satan isn't just a symbol of evil. He, he's an actual being. He's a fallen archangel of God. And he wanted to be like God. And now his fate is is sealed. It's, he's doomed. And, I mean, at calvary the throat of satan was mortally slit he's going down and as he goes down he wants to take as many people as possible with him it says in the scriptures in first peter and we'll study that this summer that he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour and he's leading you into sin but you, truth be told the world and the that's not your biggest problem your third enemy is your own passions and desires Your biggest enemy isn't the world and the big bad world. It isn't the big bad devil. It's it's your own heart. It's my own heart. Or my own passions and desires. James, the half brother of Jesus, I wrote a letter in the New Testament in the first chapter, it says, hey, we're not necessarily so much drawn away by, by Satan, but we're enticed by our own desires. So the problem isn't so much it's out there, but it's inside of here. The pain in your life, the pain in my life is the result of my own sin, my own desires, which means that we, we sin, we, we sin both by our choice, we choose to do these things, And it's also our very nature. That's why it says at the end of verse 2, it says sons of disobedience, which is another way of saying that disobedience and rebellion is a part of our spiritual genes. It's what it means to be human. It's a part of the human nature. Rebellion runs in the human family, which is why probably the worst advice somebody could ever give you is, hey, just be yourself. Just do whatever is in your heart to do. Jeremiah said that the, the heart is wicked above all else. Who can trust it? It's why David laments in Psalm 51.5. He says, Surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. From the time my mother conceived me. I mean, you just to, to, to believe that all you do is have to have kids. And if you're not track with me, just have some kids. And you'll learn very quickly that sin is, is it just, it's just they're born into it. They don't walk up to you and be like, Hey, mommy, daddy, what can, how can I serve you today? I mean, they cry, they whine, it's about me, it's about them. They just, they just do that. It's just something we're born into. And then we get verse 3. It says, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. I, we have this problem, I know I did, is that even though we're dead, we try to live. Even though we're dead, we try to live. I, you may here remember the movie Sixth Sense. From the late 90s. Remember that movie? few people were alive then? Okay, great. So that was the first movie that me and my wife went to go see at the theater. Oh, so sweet. And um, now, spoiler alert, uh, he wasn't really alive. He was dead. If you watch that movie, I know. Bruce Willis, he wasn't really alive. He was actually dead. But he was living as though he was alive. And you and I have that problem. That we are dead, but we try to live. Paul says that we are once like this, gratifying the passions of our flesh. And that Greek word for flesh, sarx, isn't talking about our skin, but it's talking about our self-centered human nature. If you want to know why we are slaves to sin, sin is because our hearts are profoundly self-centered. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that our heart was incurvitas in se, which is Latin for curved in on itself. That our heart is just curved in and on itself. We can't help but like want to, we, we make everything about us. We make our relationships about us. Um, we make our environments about us. We make the job about us. We make, we make everything about us. The human heart is that self-centered. It's kind of like we've got this computer inside of our At the very center of us, and it's analyzing, and it's, and it's, it's constantly analyzing, asking questions, asking questions. Every person, every situation, every moment, it's viewing everything through this question What's in it for me? Everything that you experience, you've got something inside of you. Say, Okay, what's in it for me? How does this help me? How does this make much of me? How does this affect my happiness, my glory, my comfort? It's why we're so anxious, it's why we're depressed. Our jobs are about us. Our relationships are about us. Your time is about you. Your uh, church is about... I mean, everything is about you. So while at once we were dead in sin, we were alive for sin. To be, dead to, dis- to be dead to obedience means to be alive for obedience. To be dead to submission means to be alive for rebellion. To be dead to faith means to be alive for unbelief. We had no spiritual inclination whatsoever. We were completely dead. Now, here's the reality. Most of us are not bothered by that. Kind of like, so? What's your point? And and there's a couple of reasons that I think it's helpful to understand why we think that way. First of all, we just, we, it's, we compare ourselves to, um, other people. And, um, we, we kind of believe that we're intrinsically good. So it's kind of like, you know, you know, like you hear things like this and we view ourselves with the rest of humanity. He's like, oh, I'm good. You know, I'm not like a terrorist or anything. I'm not a murderer, at least not an ax murderer. You know, like, like that's the, the real bad one. And so, but what's our definition of good? I, uh, I've, I've used this analogy before, but my daughter, um, uh, Josie, she's six now. She's a, she's a strong little girl. In fact, I, I want to show you some. I have a video for her for for you f- about her. And um, uh, at the time, she was five years old. And the other person, it goes very quick, so I have to. That's why you got you got to look at it. Um, she's five years old, and her older sister was 11 at the time. You just check check this out. She says something. <laughs> look at her. Take her down. Anyway, so she is strong, but okay, here. So when you, when you put other little girls in around, she's strong compared to other girls. But let's say like I built like an octagon in my house and like, a, a, you, know, like you know, UFC, like we did that. Me, and me and her, we're gonna square off. Like, I mean, and she just came at me. I'd just kick her in the throat and throw her down and she'd be over. <laughs> like it wouldn't, it would, there be no, there'd be none of the, oh, you got me. There, it, would, it would just, two seconds and it's done. She, she, there would be, be oh, who's going to win? No, it's, it's, it, it's, it's going to be very, very short. She'd be, oh, daddy, stop, like that. Now, compared to other kids, she's pretty strong. But when I walk into the room, she ceases to be strong. And you and I are good when we look to the left and to the right, maybe but when God walks into the room, you cease to be good. So we have this kind of false standard of what really is good. And the second reason, sometimes this may affect more of us, is that we, the reason why we don't, this doesn't bother us that we were dead in sin is that we just think God should deal with it. I mean, it's a victimless crime. I mean, I was going 35 and a 30, like big deal. God should just deal with it. That somehow, like, why, why, is, you know, why is he all set? You know? Now, just to be clear, we are very aware of this, how people sin against us. Oh, you, you're going to cut me off? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll cut you off. I'll, I'll, I'll demonstrate my anger. You, know, you don't give me back my correct change? There's going to be problems. You waste my time. You get in my way. You take away even an ounce of what's due me. We are very aware and very can grasp that kind of justice. Everyone loves justice except when it happens to them. And so we have this kind of like God should deal with it. But if you, if you read the Old Testament, I encourage you to do that. Maybe this will make sense for you. In fact, I would, if you're, I, I, you should go through, um, in this tour of the Old Testament, we're getting ready to go through Leviticus. And you read through Leviticus and it's just, it's just a bloody mess. There's all these people, all these animals being sacrificed. You know, they'd take a, a goat by the back of the net, neck and take a knife and slit its throat and blood just everywhere. And that, not just one sheep, but, but multiple sheep for all the sins of the people. When they dedicated the temple, it was there, they, they slaughtered 120 sheep just for that one event. What's happening there? Have you, could you imagine what that would smell like? how much that would reek. Literally, they had this funnel coming out of the back of the temple where blood would just flow. What's God doing there? God's trying to paint a picture for our own good. What our sin smells like to him and the price that must be paid. That's why John the Baptist, when, when Jesus came, he, he, he pointed out, here comes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That our, and I know this isn't very popular, it's so much more popular to say, you know, God is just some impotent, being in the sky who just does my bidding and he is who I say he is. I know it's not very popular that there could be a God outside of us who, who's above us. And, uh, uh, but th- this, is, this is the reality. Let me just say, even if, if that is, if, if there is a God, and there is, if there is a God, he's not going to have that characteristic. He's not going to be someone that, he, that, that submits to what you think he should be like. We have no clue. We think we're good. We think it's a victimless crime. And God's trying to show us, no, 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 you are dead. All you have to do is look at your own life. You can't stop thinking about you. You know, forget literal hell. You, you've created your own hell. And how self-centered you are, and how anxious you are, and how bitter you are. But it, that's what it says here. It says right here, it says... It says, it says we were by nature children of wrath that god that god is trying to show us over and over again that our sin is bad news and it's at the center of everything that is wrong and the world is crying out for justice but it doesn't know what it's talking about we want justice for other people, but we won't want justice for ourselves. So some of us are just like, hey, what's the big deal? Now, other, other of us go the other way. Some of us are like, oh my gosh, you're right. And, I, and you know, I'm sorry I haven't been here in a couple of weeks and I, I need to get busy, I need to get better. And that doesn't help either. Um, that's something, dead people can't live. The key to spiritual life is not to stop sinning. The key to spiritual life is to stop being dead. You need to be made alive. And that's exactly what he says next. He says in verse four, but God, but God being rich in mercy, but God, we were lost and alone, but God, we were hurting and helpless, but God, we were dead in our same, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin made us alive together in Christ for us by grace that you have been saved. What I love about this is what the gospel says. So the gospel says, man, what you, you, the bad news about who you are and where this is all headed is so much worse than you ever thought. But at the same time, it says it's so much better than when you ever thought. Because when he says, he says what God showed us mercy, not when we straighten ourselves out, not when we started doing better, not when we got rid of all of our sin in our life, but when we were dead in our trespasses and sin.'" God showed you mercy. God showed you love. And this is the difference between what the message of the gospel and the message of religion. Religion says, man, you've got to get busy. You've got to work. You've got to be a better person. So somehow God, you'll you come in the good graces of God. And the, and the gospel says that that's absolutely not true. You see, how many of you have heard this analogy? See, some, some people will view Christianity or the message of salvation as this. You see, the message is, tell me if you've heard this. The message of salvation is like you're, you're, like, a, you're like in the, the, the ocean and you're like grasping for air. You're getting ready to drown. And all of a sudden, God comes, God comes along in his helicopter, I guess. And he, and he lowers a rope with a life preserver. And salvation is you grab onto the life preserver. How many of you have heard that before? Heard something like that? That's not what this says. This doesn't say that you are gasping for air at the top of the ocean. This says that you are at the bottom of the ocean. That you were dead. You are were li- You weren't calling out for anything. You were in the morgue. What what do dead people do? Nothing. Right. I've yet to see a dead person do don't talk about the walking dead. Just I've never seen I've never seen a dead person do anything. You were dead, you are lifeless. You didn't have the presence of mind to grab onto a life. You know, I'm not here because I've walked down some enlightened path and I figured a few things out. I was at the bottom of the ocean. I was dead. I was lifeless. And God, in a unilateral act of grace and mercy, he reached down deep to the bottom and he pulled me up when I was still a sinner. He didn't go down and say, okay, I'm gonna go find the most popular, the most talented, the most well-behaved people I can find and I'm gonna save them. But he finds those who are dead and lifeless. Our message of salvation is not about being a good person. Our message is not God helps those who help themselves. Our message is not we were in the doghouse of God and we need to be forgiven a few offenses. Our message is that we were dead. We were at the bottom of the ocean. But God in his great mercy raised us up. Now check this out. He didn't just raise us up to ground level and say, okay, get on with it and do better next time. It says that he raised us up. He reached down at the bottom. He pulled us up and he went all the way and seated us, it says, in heavenly places. What's that talking about? It's talking about what theologians call the great exchange. You see, uh, the message of, 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 of Christianity, the message of the gospel can be summed up in two words. There's sin and there's salvation. What is sin? Sin is what we talk about. Sin is you and I trying to take the place of God. That's what sin is. You and I trying to take the place of God. Salvation is God taking the place of us. He set aside his deity. He didn't look at our humanity. See, everyone's like, hey, how could a good God, you know, how could he see all this suffering and just kind of, you know, turn his back? That's not what he did. God did not, God does not sit passively by why the world is, dying, why it's diseased, why it's, it, everyone's depressed, anxious. He did not sit passively by, but he himself entered our time-space world and became an object of our justice, so to speak, in the wrath of God. He stepped into our place. He didn't do what all of us would, would do, which is, hey, how does this affect me? He wasn't up there in heaven when the father showed him the plan and said, hey, I want you to go and take their place. He did not say what you and I say, which is, how is this going to affect me? It's not the nature and character of God. He's rich in mercy. He raised us up with Christ. We try to take his place, that sin. Salvation is he took our place and he gave us an identity and he gave us a presence. So that's what he saved us from. The message of Christianity isn't that it's 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 about the people who can behave. It's about the people who can, you know, clean up their act. It's not what it's about at all. And, and it's not belittling the, the problem. It's not saying, "Hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes." But it's it's more than that. Is that we were dead. We are lifeless. But God rich in mercy raised us up with Christ. He saved us from that and he saves us to some things. I just want to mention really quickly as I close. Number one, he he saves us into grace. By grace he saves us, but he also saves us into grace, which means life is a gift. It just frees you from striving. It frees you from always trying to prove yourself. Because you know that everything that you have is a gift and you know that God is a a giver of good gifts and, and your whole life is grace to you. You're seated in heavenly place. You're, you're with him. You're, your identity is rock solid. The second thing is, is he, it's, he saves you into a life of faith. Which is more than in just intellectual belief and, and some truths. It's at least that. But it's more than that. Faith is about trust. And when you're a person of faith that that is able to put your life into God's hands, it just, anxiety melts away. I'll give you a, hu, a minor human example. I am I get a little OCD by a couple of things. And one of those things is like our doors being locked car door, house door. Um, We are leaving Friday night, and um, I was only like 95% sure I locked the door. In fact, I was pretty sure I locked it, but I wasn't 100% sure. And so as we were driving down the road, I said, I'm sorry, honey. We got to go back. I had to know that the door... Now, I get to the door and it was locked. But I, I just... I know. You pray for me. But there is... I had to know. I couldn't just... When you, when you trust, when you're willing to put your... It, it frees you from anxiety. Not living a life of faith is a prison. So he saves you to grace. He saves you to faith. And he saves you to a life of no more boasting. No more boasting. Because now, everyone has a boast in a sense. But to boast in Christ, to make your boast Christ, is the end of all boasting. I'll say it this way. So Paul says in places like in Galatians, he says, I don't boast in anything except the cross of Christ. You know, the, the world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. And uh, when we think of boasting, we just think of bragging. But it, it's more than that. I mean, in ancient times, it's more than that anyway. Uh, a boast was what is what gave you confidence. So for, so like... You know, like when an army would go out into into battle the next day. You know, what what would motivate men to go out into almost sure death? I mean, I've never been in a battle like that. But I I watch TV and like I you know what they do is they gather people that are together and the, you know the general or the you know the captain or whatever and he begins to boast and he begins to say things like well, we have greater swords. Yeah, we do. Or You know, we've got 10,000, they only have 5,000. Yeah. And that boast gave them the confidence to go out and face this danger. And that's the way it is with you. You have a boast. There's something in your life that gives you confidence to face today. And there's something in your life that at the end of the day makes you feel like you're worth something. So maybe what gives you confidence is, well, I have a good education. What makes you feel good about yourself is, I have a good education. I'm smart. I'm pretty. I've got lots of money. I've got lots of friends. I've got ambition. I've got this. I've got that. But all of those, bo- those boasts are very, very fragile. They can be taken from you in a moment. They can be taken from you in a moment. But when you, when you put your boast in Jesus, it puts an end to all of that boasting. And you have a rock solid confidence. Your boast is now in Jesus. And so now you can face anything. Even death. Because your boast is now in Christ. And the last thing he saves us into. He saves us into a life of good works. He saves you into a life of good works. Now your life isn't about you anymore. Your life is about other people. It says here in in Ephesians 2.10. It says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works works, which God prepared beforehand, excuse me, that we should walk in them. So the first thing he says, hey, you're, we're his workmanship, which is, the Greek word there means masterpiece. That God had you in mind before the foundation of the, the world. When was that? Who knows? But way before that. And, and before all of, all, before the earth was here, before anything was here, he had you in mind. Specifically you in mind. He had your personality in mind. He had your height in mind. He had he had everything in mind. He had where would you live? He would have he'd had, he had had all of your experiences, your past. Your, he had all of that in mind. And it says that he created you in Christ Jesus to be His masterpiece. I mean, if you know anything about DNA, there's like trillions of and there's like trillions of possibility in every human being. That DNA is as unique as a snowflake. It's just, it's you are uniquely you. You are his masterpiece. For what? For, not yourself, but for good works. I'll say it this way. There are people that only you can benefit and bless. That God has in mind for you. See, the life of a Christian isn't a life of like, oh, I've got to do certain things so God will please me. No, he saves you from yourself... He saves you from thinking about you and he just opens this door to all these possibilities and blessing other people. Every day as a Christian, there's someone to love, someone to care for, someone to bless. So God comes to you and says, hey, look, I, I've had a purpose for you for a very, very long time and now I'm going I'm to save you. I'm going to chisel off this heart that's just curved in on itself and, and, and I, and I want to show you something. I'm, I'm saving people in your neighborhood and I'm saving play, people where you work. I'm saving people around you. Do you want to come play? Do you want to come be a part of this? He invites you into this new life and it's ultimate freedom and it's ultimate purpose and it's ultimate joy. Here's the gospel. The gospel, our message, our message is, hey, look, we just didn't make a few mistakes. We were dead in our sins. We were enslaved by sin. But God, being rich in mercy, reached down and he grabbed us out of our sin. He, He took our spiritual death and made it spiritual life. He made us life by his grace, had nothing to do with us, And now he saves us to a life of grace, freedom, faith, and good works.